1: Sarah and Mike, thank you very much and welcome everybody to CNBC's continued coverage of markets and turmoil and fast money. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Wow, what a market day. Look at those numbers. The Dow surging 1,600 plus points. All the major indexes up more than 7%. Two pieces of information likely driving this number one. We may not be over the curve in New York and other hard-hit places, but at least some people are starting to see around the corner a little positive news on coronavirus. Also, former Fed Chair Janet Yellen saying maybe the Federal Reserve should be allowed to buy equities directly. Not yet, but maybe they should be able to through ETFs. couple pieces of news there. We're going to talk more about the markets, of course, all show long, and also see if we are getting around that corner, particularly in this area. The governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, will join us as well. Again, we'll get an update on where we stand with the cases and where we think we might be in flattening that curve. We have got Guy, Dan, and Karen with us waiting on Tim Seymour as well. Tony Dwyer will join us, too. It is a big market day. Welcome, everybody. We'll get to the governor in a few minutes. But let us begin now with these markets. And Guy Adami, I've got a statistic for you that I think might move you on a Throw Monday, maybe me. to tears, given the kind of weeks that we have had. Here we go. With today's move up in the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, well talked about on this fine program, is now higher year over year. <laughs>
0: I mean, some of the it's amazing what you can do with numbers, and, that, and that's a fast... I didn't know that, and thank you for sharing that, and happy Monday to everybody, and this is a good day. And I listen, I think you can take some glimmer of hope from that, absolutely. You know, I think Tim's joining in, and he's been optimistic, which has been good. I think Dan and Karen have as well. I think Dan has a longer view that he will share about where the market is headed. You know, I've said for a while, and I don't know where the market's going. My opinion is, and I'll share again... But I think the move is not done until we hit 27.90 or thereabout in the S&P 500. Given today's close, that's about a 5% move from here. In terms of the math, that makes sense given the recent low of 2,190 and the all-time high we saw just a couple months ago, 3,393. That's effectively a 50% retracement. It makes a lot of sense. I think at that point, my opinion, you have to be looking to pare down risk and take some money off the table because despite the fact that the Fed appears to be buying everything, and you mentioned Janet Yellen at the top of the show, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that this is over as quickly as people want it to be over, Brian.
1: Yeah, and Dan, Nathan, nobody is saying that everything is fine. We're dealing with a humanitarian crisis of unprecedented proportion in the modern era. But from a market's perspective, I would imagine there are a number of smart people out there watching CNBC who are thinking, wow, Is this the start of something else or should I be selling into strength?
2: Yeah, I I think that you just mentioned that we have an unprecedented health crisis. We also now, because of the, 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 the steps that we've taken to mitigate that, we have an unprecedented economic crisis. So if you're looking at... the 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 stock market as a lens to see if we fix the health crisis we fix the economic crisis you're looking at the wrong thing here I mean I think that the fact that the stock market is up seven percent today because we finally got some good news on the health crisis that's great okay but to make some assumptions about what the markets going to be doing from here on out based on What we think is going to happen to the economy, I just think, is the wrong move here, especially when you think about six weeks into this market sell-off. It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. We've talked about this again and again, Sully, over the last few months or the last few weeks at least, that 20% rallies in bear markets are features. They are not bugs. We had two in 2001. We had two in 2002. They both failed. The market had a peak-to-trough decline of 50%. In 2008, we had two. Peak, uh, peak the trough declines or, or, or rallies off the lows of 20%. They both failed. We didn't bottom until 09. So if you think that this unprecedented health and economic crisis is going to be encapsulated in a month and a half decline of 35% peak to trough decline, you're just not paying attention to history and you're kind of doing it wrong. So get geeked up if you want. I just don't think you should be buying on a day like today. We may get to guys 2790, but I suspect we fail and I suspect it's going to take some serious time for us to work out of this health and economic crisis.
1: OK, dose of reality there uh, from Dan, Karen Feynman. Listen, again, the tape looked nice for a lot of people. It's a respite. We're not throwing that under the bus. But when you look at the internals of this rally, I'm looking at the numbers here. The top 20 or 30 S&P companies are all down 40 and 50 percent this year. Kind of a lower quality type rally. At least that's my view. What did you think of it?
3: So I hate rallies like this, actually. I I agree with Dan. I would not be buying on a day like today. I'd much rather be buying in a big, down, ugly day when things are just trading down in integers. Today was the opposite of that. It was just things trading up in integers. And so uh, that is obviously good news on the corona uh, front, hopefully. It's early, but hopefully. So that is good. But we have no clarity on the economic front. And even if we start to see numbers early April, for the March quarter. The March quarter doesn't really capture a lot of what is going to be the bad news in the economy. So that that has me worried. This kind of rally, I did, didn't buy anything today and just shorted some spiders at the very end of the day on the close because I think this was kind of overdone.
1: Yeah. And Guy Dami, again, we're looking at the VIX here. One of the things that you like to look at all the time, It did fall today. It's still at 45. I mean, if we had a 45 VIX three months ago, we would have thought that the world, you know, had had gone upside down. Maybe it has in some ways, I guess. Did the internals of the market make you at all skeptical, kind of like Dan and Karen? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, and it's worthy of a conversation. You know, you would have hoped on a day like today, you know, if you had asked me on Friday, and you said, guy, the market, the Dow, the S&P, is going to be up seven percent or thereabouts, where's the VIX going to close? And I would have said, given what you just said, below 40, hopefully maybe 37 and a half, 38. And quite frankly, it really didn't budge today, which is somewhat problematic. And I think that speaks to exactly what Karen and Dan are saying. You know, listen, I want to be optimistic. I absolutely do. But to Dan's point, you know, we don't know what the consumers When you're talking about an economy that's 73% driven by people buying things, to think that all of a sudden, magically, when this is hopefully over and soon, that people are going to go back to doing what they were doing, I think is somewhat foolish. I think consumer behavior could change fundamentally. I hope I'm wrong. I just don't think I am in this environment, Brian.
3: So just let me add something on the VIX, which normally we talk about it when the VIX goes up because it's sort of a, we use it as a proxy for fear. Really what the VIX is sort of a mathematical model of how much the market will move in the next 30 days. So now we should really think about it as a thrashing around model. So today was a thrash to the upside. The VIX didn't come in. I think the healthiest day we could see is a flat day. That to me would be much healthier than these giant up or down days.
1: Yeah, and again yeah, you know, I would just say Dan you look want at the small caps. Go ahead, Dan, jump in. Yeah, no, listen, you know, the small caps,
2: I think, is a great thing. That's where you're going with this here, Sully. If you look at the chart of the Russell 2000, today's 7% or whatever it was up, that move looks like a blip on a chart of a uh, indice that had a peak to trough decline of 40%. I just think that when you go back and you think about what we're trying to do here, um, you know, we're not your hedge fund manager. We are not your stockbroker. I'm not your investment advisor. We're here on TV. We're talking about the, the two decades plus experience that we have in dealing this stuff. And, you know, it was, pretty easy for a while when all you had to do was say buy the dip, okay, because it worked for a very long time. I think it's really important to understand right now, based on my 25 years in the market and guy, what, your 30, 40 years, you know, it is different this time. I want to take what I saw in the late 90s when I entered the business, the crises that we saw there, the long-term capital, the Asian financial crisis, the dot-com implosion, the, um, you know, the financial crisis, which was a man-made thing here in America. And then I want to take the sovereign debt crisis. And then I want to take the China growth scare and debt scare in 15 and 16. And we'll wrap them all together. And I'm going to tell you, that's what we have right here. I'm not trying to freak you out about the stock market. It already crashed. Commodities crashed. Rates already crashed. Now we have to figure out how do we work out of this. We front loaded the response. We basically thrown about $5 trillion at this. That's the entirety of TARP and all the other iterations of it in QE. And now, we have to figure out how we come out of it as an economy how we come out of it as our livelihoods and that's going to take time it took time all those other times i don't know why we're rushing right now because the president wants to sign a stock chart and send it to dobbs or something like that that we think we're going to come out of it this way that's not how it's going to happen be patient here people
1: all right fair enough strong words i mean can't be more emphatic about it let's bring in tony dwyer of canaccord denuity tony Obviously, you're listening to this. Dan is very emphatic about, you know, sort of the way that we need to be looking at this. The only real historical model we might have in America is 1957, where we had a flu pandemic, had 116,000 souls, unfortunately lost, which as a percentage of the population back then was very high, higher than some of the models we have right now. You've been listening to us. What do you think? Do you think today meant anything or just a bear market rally inside of a down market?
4: Well, well, first, Brian, first, Dan being emphatic, really? Um, so does it mean anything? A hundred percent it means something because less people are, it looks like, you know, the curve is flattening sooner or peaking sooner than uh, people expect. And that's, that's a great thing. But from, from our view has not changed, Brian, since we talked to you last in the time before that. Once you started that 12% decline in April, you had, remember, it was the fastest correction in the history of, of the S&P from a new high to a greater than 10% correction. I think it happened in six days. As soon as you did that, you kicked off a human nature event. We, and there's three phases of a crash environment. There's the panic phase. We clearly got that with a 34% drop when... There was a .86 correlation of S&P stocks to the index itself. A record, three standard deviation. We got the panic phase. Then you go into the multi-week relief rally phase. And again, we've been talking about this since since, uh, that 12% drop in February. A multi-week relief rally phase median is 17% when the 14-week RSI gets to where it got in late March. In other words, this is a typical multi-week relief rally. Then, unfortunately, when you're in a human nature event, you test the lows. It's a very frustrating period because the first the panic phase is, oh my God, what was that? Everybody's looking around like, what is it going to mean? Fear takes over, panic sets in. Then you kind of say, oh my God, thank God that's over. And then people look at people like me saying it could test the low and saying, no, it's going to be different this time because of how m- dramatically it declined. And then you get this relief rally followed by a test of the low. So we have a bunch of indicators that suggest that that's going to happen again this time.
1: Yeah. In the next month or so, do we have a time frame on this, Tony? Listen, I get it. I get everybody's guy. Don't rush right? this. It's I, got to I, work I tr- through. Yeah, it's if got if to work If I by but my emotions, i would be a disaster.
4: People. Right? I've changed on Friday midday. It looked like the market was going to crash. Today, it looks like it's going to spike forever. So let's go by the data. When the 14-week RSI, which is the Relative Strength Index for the S&P 500, it's a common oscillator looking at overbought and oversold, reached 22 on March, in the week closing March 20th. Anytime it's done that in the past, since it's been a 500-stock index, you have had a relief rally just like, again, median 17%. The test of the low comes a median 28 days later. And it gets half the time it broke the low marginally, and the other um, with 2008 being the worst exception and the other three times it came within four percent of the low so our call is very simple the market crashed if you're going to look out 10 years from now it doesn't matter if you wait for the low ultimately the stimulus monetary and fiscal stimulus is going to be really stimulative, and it'll be a generational low however human nature is the drive is driving the bus here and human nature really reinforces after a crash, after an oversold condition, that you test that low. I I wish it weren't true, but that's the data.
1: All right. Well, we're looking at the data, and that's why we have you on. Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. Tony, thank you very much. A very good discussion there around some very serious topics. Uh, We've got a lot more to go. We're going to take a short break here, but much more to come on Fast Money. And coming up after the break, have we come around a corner a little bit in terms of what we all really care about? And that is, of course, flattening the curve and keeping people healthy. Governor Phil Murphy is going to join us after the break. Plus, we'll talk about Oil Scott Sheffield, a fiery interview two weeks ago on this program. He will join us again with what he wants to see from OPEC. From the u.s government and from his home state of texas a lot more to do you're watching fast money we're back right after this all right welcome back to cnbc's continued coverage of the markets in turmoil let's talk about boris johnson the uk prime minister taken today to intensive care remember Boris Johnson was diagnosed with coronavirus back on March 27th. He had been functioning fairly well, but the news taking a turn for the worse today. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson taken to intensive care Uh, again. Dominic Raab will be assuming temporary charge of the government while the prime minister recovers. But certainly some very difficult news from the United Kingdom about their prime minister. All right, let's switch to here stateside and hopefully find some good news, particularly in the very hard hit New Jersey, New York City area. There is a lot going on here and we are pleased once again to be joined by the governor of the Garden State, Governor Phil Murphy joining us once again. Governor, obviously some difficult news out of the United Kingdom. Do we have any glimmers of good news here in the New York and New Jersey metropolitan area?
5: Yeah, the prime minister and everybody else battling this are in our prayers. I think it's, Brian, good to be back with you. Too early to tell, uh, but we are see the, seeing the positive cases that are coming out each day beginning to show a little bit of a sign of flattening, and that's a good thing. And then we went through some modeling today, and you know, the, the good news is we don't have the runaway freight train uh, catastrophe that we would have had, had we done nothing, and we started on this as far back in January. But we still can't relent. I mean, the social distancing looks like it's working. I want to thank everybody who's staying at home. The only challenge is they got to continue to stay at home. We're far from the goal line. But if folks do that, it's showing some sign of life.
1: Do you have any indication, Governor, of when that goal line might be? I'm not talking about reopening the economy and everybody walking the boardwalk at Seaside. I'm talking about a slow gentle return with strict controls and the possibility of a reversion to the lockdown, which you've seen happen in various places.
5: Yeah, I'd like to say we're within days or weeks, but I think we're, uh, I've said this before, and I, I see nothing that doesn't say that we're not at least deep into May. And again, we've got to get the order right here. We've got to break the back of this virus uh, definitively, and then we could begin to responsibly reopen the economy and our society. If you get that wrong, the order wrong, or if you start too early, I'm a fearful you throw gasoline on the fire. But I will tell you, everybody overwhelmingly is doing the right thing, and we will get there. I just wish it were sooner than it will be.
1: Yeah, it's very tough, too. And, and there's some things that I would imagine are nearly impossible for you to manage, Governor, because you look at the case structure in Bergen County, which is where CNBC's headquarters, right across the George Washington Bridge, by far the hardest hit. It is connected to New York by the George Washington Bridge. New Jersey Transit is still running. Any indication of effectively, maybe not locking down the border with New York, but at least sort of controlling the flow of people? I mean, the, the
5: flow, the reality is the flow is so far down. I think NJ Transit's ridership is down something like 93 percent. And if you look at the people who are taking it, they're overwhelmingly people who have to. And we've basically said, if you're not a healthcare worker, first responder, essential retail, working at NJ Transit, a longshoreman, whatever, someone in the supply chain, if you're not on that list of people, stay home. So effectively, we're really already doing that. The other thing I'd say is this, is that Governor Cuomo and I and Governor Lamont, Governor Wolf, we've tried to act in concert every step of the way. So we're largely in one reality, even though we may be on two sides of the Hudson. So in many
1: respects, we are doing basically what you're you're suggesting, Brian. Have you heard from President Trump, who obviously not only is the president, but has a big golf course and a source of revenue for himself in the Garden State? Yeah, in fact, he and the vice president and I spoke a couple of hours
5: ago. Um, it was a good call. Uh, he uh, officially uh, gave the, his support for the fact that New Jersey would have a piece of the beds that are on the USNS Comfort, uh, which was a, a big deal for us. Uh, the, the Army Corps of Engineers helped; they have helped us stand up some field medical stations FEMA is now going to extend their time with us on testing our two testing sites that we operate with them. We got 500 ventilators over the past day. Not everything we need, but it's a step in the right direction. So, you know, we're, we're all in this together, doing the best we can to flatten this curve and, and get our ways through this.
1: And what's the status of the hospitals as far as beds, ICUs and ventilators, Governor?
5: listen, we're still short on across the board. So we're short ventilators, PPE, personal protective equipment, beds, healthcare workers. We've got a plan for all. We've had good incremental progress, and I'm grateful for that, believe me. Uh, but we still have a ways to go, even though the social distancing looks like it's really taken, as I mentioned earlier, uh, taken us well away from what would have been a runaway freight train down to a, a lower number. Even that number Unless we stay on that and and stay even more aggressive, we'll swamp our health care system. So we're doing everything we can to stay out ahead of that.
1: And I would have met. Listen, again, we're on CNBC. I understand it's a humanitarian crisis as well, Governor. But from the business owner's perspective, like we talked about last time, we go all the way from the mom and pop pizzeria that sort of made New Jersey famous to giant hotels and casinos in Atlantic City, what are you hearing from business owners about what they want and what they need right now?
5: Well, first of all, they're crushed. You know, the, the workers who are out of work, we've, we've got, like most American states, record unemployment. Uh, we've got a particular hurt on our small businesses. But as you mentioned, we're home to big companies uh, as, as much as any American state. The, the bad news is they're hurting, period. Uh, the encouraging news is everybody, the spirit of let's get through this together, we know this is killing us, but we've got to break the back of this virus first. And we understand that's the first order of business. The spirit overwhelmingly is incredibly, not surprising because it's Jersey, uh, but it's incredibly impressive. Uh, we got to get money as fast as we can, particularly through the CARES Act, to our unemployed who are in a world of hurt. Uh, And again, they are record numbers. Get money as fast and as as significantly as we can to our small businesses. Uh, Again, this is uh, this is both a health care crisis. It's also an economic
1: crisis. But again, the spirit is really impressive across the board. You know, I got to say, Governor, I was not born in this state. My kids are being raised in New Jersey. 9-11, 9-11, the towns were hit hard. Hurricane Sandy, seaside, the roller coaster was in the ocean. Now we have this, and always the state comes back. This New Jersey is going to get a long vacation when this thing is over. Governor Phil Murphy, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Be well. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me, man. Amen. All right, absolutely. We'll talk again soon. Certainly, Jersey strong, and we mean it here. Everybody knows somebody from New Jersey. Let's all just admit that. All right, coming up after the break, back to business There's an OPEC plus, plus, plus meeting taking place on Thursday, possibly G20 on Friday. Will anything get done? Scott Sheffield, a pioneer, will be our guest as well. And then Zoom. Everybody's using it. And with the stock, everybody appears to have been buying it. So why did it get downgraded today? We'll talk more about that. Yeah, well, 1,600 points today. We're back right after this. All right, Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a day where stocks rose in a big way. In fact, nearly every stock rose, including oil stocks, which is interesting because oil itself did not rise. Look at that. WTI traded crude down 7 percent. A lot of confusion, maybe concern over a possible oil cut deal. Everybody out there is sort of waiting on what everybody else might do. By the way, I've got a piece up on this. If you're having trouble figuring out all the machinations and storylines, There's a piece on cbc.com that I wrote today. I'll tweet it out later as well. Let's talk more now about, though, what we can expect not only from OPEC, but also from the state of Texas and producers. Once again, pleased to be welcomed by Scott Sheffield. He is the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. Scott, uh, the last time we had you on, the interview made made a lot of headlines. We're glad that you joined us again. There's an OPEC meeting on Thursday, in theory. That's what they're talking about right now. Do you expect any real cut of size to get done.
6: Yes, Brian, it's great to be on your show again. Uh, I want to start off thanking uh, the health care workers on the front line with COVID-19 and also thanking the president for calling um, Putin and Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. I'm, I'm fairly confident that with um, Trump's help, that the Russia and Saudi will try to put something together first. They will take that to um, the OPEC meeting, OPEC plus and try to cut a deal, but I think they're going to try to involve Canada, U.S., Brazil, and Norway um, and tie those four countries to those cuts also.
1: There's no way. I mean, I tried to go through the math earlier. You'd know a lot more about it than I am, Scott. I'm trying to figure out how to get to 10 million barrels a day cut without the U.S., Canada, and Norway. It's hard to see how to do it.
6: Yes, I think uh, the argument going on now is um, Saudi wants to cut from 12 versus 10. I don't see how they can cut from $12 million. They need to cut from $10 million to get Russia on board. Um, but as you know, uh, you probably heard, like everybody else, is that uh, Trump has pulled the military card um, in regard to future arms, future military bases in Saudi Arabia, future protection. So Saudi's going to do everything they can to try to cut a deal. So they, they have to cut a deal first before they take it Thursday. And then, then they need to come to the US, um, Norway, Canada, and Brazil.
1: Well, what you're saying is really important, a little in the weeds from an oil perspective. But let me let me explain it to our audience and see if, if you would agree, Scott. So Saudi, the Saudis were producing, let's call it nine, nine and a half, nine point seven million barrels a day. They went up to 12 in this famous price war. So you're saying if they agree to cut, let's call it three million barrels a day, they need to go from 10 down to seven, not from 12 and a half to nine and a half.
6: I would be happy from 10 to 8. So uh, I'm not there negotiating, but I'd be happy from 10 to 8. I'd be happy for um, a million to 2 million from Russia as a starting place. If they can get to 4 somehow between themselves and take it to OPEC+, Plus, maybe they can get to 8 and then ask um, U.S. and Canada, Brazil, Norway to come up with the remaining 2 million. I, I think it's possible they can get a deal done that way.
1: Okay, let's talk about the United States. Uh, you and Parsley Energy, um, company you know well, by the way, petitioning the Texas Railroad Commission, which, despite its name, controls oil production in Texas, to effectively, I guess, quota or, or limit production. There is a hearing scheduled for April fourteenth. There are three commissioners. Obviously, they need a you know two thirds or you know unanimous vote. What exactly are you looking for from Texas, and what do you think is going to happen, Scott?
6: Yes. thank you, Brian. Uh, about 10 days ago, we were notified, along with all producers in the state of Texas, by all the purchasers. Uh, the purchasers said storage is going to be full by May 15th. Uh, May 15th, we're not going to be able to take some of your oil. Uh, the majors might be able to sell 100% of their oil because they can go directly to the refinery. It's the small and medium producers that don't have midstream contracts that can't sell their oil. So we decided to file a motion last week, and you have to prove that you're wasting the oil. And last week, we were selling Delaware oil at $3 a barrel. So you're wasting all, That's easy to prove. Secondly, decimation of our industry and our infrastructure and our service companies, and then fairness being fair to all producers. We're asking for a 20% cut until September 30th with the Texas Railroad Commission. So April 14th is a key day. And then they will, April 21st, they will make a decision at that point in time.
1: Okay, 20% cut until September. I would imagine that, Scott, that would be proportionate across production size, correct?
6: Yes, it would. And we're asking for an exemption for small producers in the state of Texas. As you know, Texas produces 5 million barrels a day. So 20% is 1 million barrels a day until September 30th. And there's various options that each producer can decide how to cut that depending on their lease situation.
1: All right. Hearing the 14th, the decision the 21st, means a lot to a lot of jobs. Scott Sheffield, a pioneer. Scott, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here on CNBC once again.
6: Thank you, Brian. Great to see you. All
1: right. Sure thing. You know, Guy Adami, I referenced it a little different today. Oil fell 8 percent, but oil stocks rose. What do you make of that?
0: Well, I mean, the broader market obviously helped. And, you know, Maybe it's just a situation where people are looking for what they believe to be value. I have no idea. I want to say one thing. I find it fascinating that when oil was $40 lower, we were uh, our administration was calling for prices had to be lower. You know, you have to raise production. Now that it's, we got what we wanted, we need to cut production to get it higher. I mean, that, that to me is an extraordinarily dangerous game to play, and I'll just leave that out there. In terms of the oil stocks, and we talked about this for the last couple of weeks, if you just look, Chevron has gone from... Trough to where it is now. It's gone from 50 to 80, while as an Exxon Mobil is going from 30 to 40. And what we said a couple of weeks ago, and what holds true now, is Chevron's outpacing Exxon in a meaningful way. And I'm not saying you should be buying either one of them, but it's worth noting that one has been outperforming the other on what has been, you know, obviously a decent tape over the last couple of weeks. Tells me right now that Chevron's in a much better situation than XOM, Brian.
1: All right, now we got Tim Seymour joining us as well. Tim, were you watching the energy or commodity complex at all today?
7: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, First of all, I think crude ended up finishing uh, down 2.5%, so it rallied back a lot. Uh, If you look at the XLE, obviously the ETF that tracks the energy sector, it's up 35% in the last 13 sessions. And and the reason I'm so specific on those numbers is because that that was the day that oil bottomed. Um, and and obviously we've had a 48 to 50% rally in oil prices pretty quickly as well. But but Guy talked about Chevron, and, and you have to pick stocks in the energy space because just saying that hey you know prices are you know off this low base pretty interesting blah blah blah. We've seen this from energy before. But but Chevron is is one of the most agile uh, mega cap integrated names, and they they have a capex budget that they cut dramatically to three and a half billion dollars now, and and they're going to have free cash flow. So, if you want to invest in the space, I think you have to chase the balance sheets that make the most sense. But the company management that not just today, but last week and last year were probably the best run and the most outward looking in terms of the environment. Chevron has been that, I think, along with ConocoPhillips.
1: Dan, Nathan, get in here. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so these guys just mentioned Chevron's outperformance. Tim just mentioned the XLE, that's the Energy Select ETF. Look at a 10-year chart of that thing when it broke down um, below 60, straight to 50. I mean, 50 was that level here. So Tim just mentioned the XLE, 45, or 6% of that is Exxon and uh, Chevron. So if you're going after those balance sheets... That's what you're going to go after, the XLE, and get some, uh, you know, basically broadened out. um, But you're at least getting 50% of that ETF and those two names that should lead to the upside. And I'll just say that, you know, that $50 level in the XLE is going to be massive technical resistance for some time. um, But it's a great trading range. It's a great place to uh, trade against, I guess, to the upside.
1: All right, Dan, thank you very much. All right, we've got a lot more to do here on CNBC's Fast Money we're going to talk about gold, and this time, we have seen gold rally. Is there an options trade that you can make on gold if you remain bullish but don't want to take a huge commitment? We're going to get you more on that. The Dow up 1,627 points today. The QQQ now higher year over year. We're back right after this.
8: Welcome back to Fast Money. Breaking news on Airbnb. The startup raising a billion dollars from private equity firms Silver Lake and Sixth Street Partners, even as the coronavirus hits the travel industry particularly hard. Now, in a press release, Airbnb says that it is a mix of debt and equity that will help fund the company's long-term efforts. Now, both Silver Lake and Sixth Street are new to Airbnb, though particularly Silver Lake is long-time tech investor, having put in a billion dollars into Twitter last month. Now, the valuation nor the terms of the deal were disclosed, but a source tells me there is no ratchet and the terms are attractive for Airbnb. He went on to say that the investment does not depend on performance or an IPO by a certain date. Now, Morgan Stanley served as financial advisor to the deal. It, along with Goldman Sachs, are the lead underwriters for Airbnb's anticipated IPO. The company had said that it wanted to go public this year. We don't know where those plans lie right now. Certainly, a billion dollars gives them some time to sort this out, especially amid all of the turbulence in the travel markets we're seeing now and declining gross bookings for them. Back to you.
1: Yeah. Big funding round on a private travel company. Really amazing stuff. Deirdre Bose. of course. Thank you very much. Deirdre, be well. Uh, Dan, Nathan, listen, there's a lot of people that are out there with these concepts of companies and the way we travel and work totally changing. Maybe Airbnb is a beneficiary of the idea that you're not going to want to go back to a hotel. You're going to kind of just want to be with your family and around nobody else. Or maybe they got lucky. Uh, yeah
2: they they certainly did seem to get lucky when you think about this funding round down only about 20 25 percent from the prior round a few years ago in the private markets i mean listen let's be f- you know, fair here, Sully. Who knows what's going to happen here? I don't think anybody's going to be rushing back to stay um, or travel to be staying in, in someone else's home. I think you'd probably rather stay in a Hilton or a Marriott before you'd rather stay in somebody's home. I do think it's important to remember here that what we've seen over the last year and a half is this, just this unicorn massacre. You know, when you think about Uber, when they came uh, public, when you think about WeWork and you think about these public down rounds, I mean, I don't think Airbnb is going to be going public anytime soon. Silver Lake is a great investment. They're going to have an opportunity to invest at lower levels, I suspect, in the private markets.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, Guy Adami, listen, everybody says people like to use words like never and forever. And that's always going to change. But there are going to be changes in the way that we live and work. And I bring that up from an investment opportunity. For example, there's people saying the used car market's getting crushed now, but it will do well in the summer because people won't want to take mass transit. They'll buy a cheap used car in New York or D.C. Maybe they want it. You understand what i'm saying there will be things that are hurt for a long time there will be new industries maybe suburban office park that rally and are investable because we're going to change the way we do things no question
0: and listen i clearly none of us know least of which i know what's going to happen going forward my biggest concern continues to be as people stay home work from home god willing they're working from home are they going to learn to do more with less? And is consumer behavior going to fundamentally change in the years to come? I don't know the answer to that, but you have to think about it. In terms of Airbnb, I'm with Dan on this one. You know, I, I might have done it six months ago. I can't believe I'm racing to do one six months from here. So that's just me. Maybe people will race back. Maybe, maybe there is the pent-up demand that the president speaks about. I'm not certain that will be the case, Brian.
1: Yeah, there will be changes. Who knows what they're going to be? I think the open office is probably toast. Even though everybody was going to that, there are ways to invest around this change. All right, one of the ways that we have changed has been a very big investment. We're talking, of course, about Zoom. We're using it for work. Our kids are using it for school. Heck, some people, I'm told, may even be using it to virtually have cocktail parties with their friends. I'm told, the CEO of Zoom speaking to Jim Cramer moments ago, here's a preview of tonight's Mad Money.
3: When we built Zoom, you know, Zoom was beautiful, serving a lot of enterprise business customers. But over the past several weeks, we had a lot of brand new users, new use cases. This is never, you know, expected. And those, you know, when we working together with the enterprise IT team, normally it takes some time to build a trust. This, this time, you know, a lot of first time, you know, in the users, you know, they heard about Zoom, they started using Zoom, and we need to you know, spend time on that. All
1: right, Dan, obviously, it's been a red hot stock. Pretty much everybody you probably know and I know is using it in some form or fashion, despite some security concerns. But Credit Suisse saying it's got an ultra premium valuation, 40 times enterprise value. They've got concerns. They downgrade it. What do you make of the call? Yeah. So I, I read
2: that note, Sully, and, and they love the company and they love the product. And it's really about the stock. And they couldn't, you know, they can't justify it at 45 times sales where it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, listen, this is a one trick pony of a company, but they do something very, very well. But when you think about who they're up against, the moats that these companies have, Microsoft with Teams, Google with Hangouts, there's companies like Epic um, that have uh, whatever their thing is, I can't remember. But, you know, there's just a lot of competition here. And so, you know, I think the biggest beneficiary of Zoom's success over the last couple of months, with all these um, these unpaid users, is really Amazon's AWS because they probably had to just massively, massively scale up on the server side. So to me, I think it makes sense at that valuation to be out of the name.
1: Yeah, Karen Feierman. I mean, we all Credit Suisse to Dan's point is saying they've got the right product at the right time. I mean, nobody talked about Zoom a month ago. Now it's pretty much all people are talking about from a product perspective as a fund manager would you buy the stock do you own the stock
3: no I don't and I I agree with Dan I wouldn't buy the stock I mean to me it reminds me of Beyond Meat and I really believe in the concept that we are going to be eating a lot more plant-based foods but that doesn't mean that there is any that you can buy the stock at any valuation at all so you know I think we saw what happened with Beyond Meat it went absolutely parabolic and you know, things change and it's back down, I don't know how much, from the peak. I, I think Zoom could be a great company and not be a great stock to own here. I, w- I wouldn't touch it.
1: Yeah, Zoom may be the, the beyond meat of video conferencing. Karen, finally, we might just coined something. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up after the break, some of the hottest stocks in the market today on a hot day with the Dow Rose 1,600 were retailers. That's right. Some of the retail stocks and ETFs had their best day ever. But does that mean you should buy or touch any of these names? We'll talk about just that coming up. All right, Welcome back. A big market day. All the major indexes up over 7%. Retail a big part of that. There is some... Some hope out there that perhaps we are seeing around that corner, flattening the curve a bit, and we can perhaps see the finish line on this coronavirus nightmare. Either way, the entire market rising up. But Karen Feynman, we talked about it at the top of the show. When you look at the names in retail that powered the XRT, it's a lot of names that are down 50 and 60% this year. The most beaten up ones got the biggest jump, and I'm not sure that's the greatest sign of a healthy pull, uh, turnaround.
3: I I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, you talked about oil going down, oil stocks going up. I think that, you know, these were so beaten down. And I I, I think that it was just sort of an overreaction back to the upside. I mean, to me, if you're going to buy the most beaten down ones, those are probably ones that have some balance sheet issues. And I don't think it's worth it to be taking on balance sheet issues at this point. We haven't even really aged into this slowdown yet. Slowdown is the wrong word, into this dead stop. Um, So I I don't think we'll know for a little while. So you have to be in a balance sheet that's good. So for me, I want to be where the customer wants to be, which is is Target. And Target has the balance sheet they can survive, but they're also...
1: Yeah, Guy Adami here. J- jump in here. Uh, Dollar General, you've talked about it on the program. You've liked the stock. It's, it's probably the only retailer, one of at least, that. there's another one. Please, everybody let me know, and I'm sure you will. I'm looking across week to date, month to date, three months, year to date. It's higher. I
0: actually think Dollar Gen made an all-time high today. I might be wrong. I looked at it earlier, but it, it's been a pretty monster of a company. And I think at, at a certain point, we've all probably mentioned it over the last year or so it's just a great company. Valuation wise, yeah, maybe it's getting a little stretched here. I think it's twenty one times next year's earnings, probably have a twelve percent EPS growth rate, although who knows in this environment. I think City just uh raised their price target to one ninety. And look, I mean think just think about where we've been for a stock, for a retailer to be making an all time
1: high in this environment, I think that's telling you something, Brian. And by the way, as usual, Guy Dami, you are correct. The stock hitting a new all-time high today, $169. It was a $56 stock back at this time in 2014. Truly an incredible story, I guess, from the little retailer that could. Dollar General has made its investors a lot of dollars. Guy, thank you very much. All right, you know what else has been working lately, and that is gold. Are there ways to still play gold, the stocks, and in the options market? We'll talk about just that right after this. All right, welcome back. A bit of a wild ride for gold lately, but it did end the day higher as well. The GLD at one fifty six eighty eight. Let's talk about potentially an options trade in the gold market. For that, who else? But Mike Co. Mike. Yeah. So GLD, which is the ETF that tracks gold, for those don't don't happen to trade the physical metal or the futures or options on those, that saw uh, calls outpace puts by about two to one. Early on, some of that activity was in the April 160 calls. We saw a couple thousand of those trading for about 2 dollars 5 Buyers of those are betting that gold could rally probably about another 5% or so by the end of next week. And by the end of the day, the most active options were the May 160s. Those were trading for about four and a half. Again, those are bullish bets betting on a slightly higher level and a little bit further out in time than the April 160s are. Although I would caution people because, of course, what we saw when equities rolled over, Gold did, too. This was a risk on rally that we saw today. It was a risk on rally we saw in gold. That's probably why people are using calls to make their bullish bets here, because it's trading very close now to the highs that we saw earlier this year. All right, Mike Co on the GLD. Thank you very much, Guy Dom. You've also been bullish on gold. You must have liked the action that we had today.
0: It's amazing. I mean, Newmont Mining closing above 50. I think Newmont takes out that 52.5 high and... You know, this goes under the uh, category of be careful what you wish for. You know, the President Trump and the administration want a weaker dollar. Well, you better be careful if we get it, because gold's going to continue to go higher. And we got the lower interest rates. That wasn't very good. Lower oil. That wasn't very good. We better hope we don't get the weaker dollar. I think we will.
1: Gold goes up. All right. Gold goes up. Can't say it better than that. Coming up after the break, we'll try to do that with some final thoughts, maybe some final trades. We're back All right. We're going to go to Dan. We're going to see Karen's final thought is just hanging out there. You see, that's how it works in this modern age. So, Dan, Nathan, Karen just inadvertently gave you more time.
2: I love it. I love it. Listen, we were talking about Zoom on the work from home. Again, I think it's a very good company and a very good product, but I don't love the valuation. One that I do start to like here is Slack. And I know the stock has started to act a little better here. I think it continues to work in this work from home environment. Slack.
1: All right, Dan Nathan there. And Guy Adami got about a minute left in the program. Final thoughts, final trades, final ideas. Heck, Guy, at this point, whatever you want. I don't
0: think we have a minute left. We have about 10 seconds. Eli, Lilly, Brian,
1: go. Oh, that's, that's all we got. Guy Adami's right again. Mad starts now.